It's been a while since we had a master distiller on the show with us too. So this should be an extra special show. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that we're going to have a master distiller on the show yeah. every single time now? That's I know. Time. This, this is number 77, the inaugural master the distiller. <laughs> I earned it in those six, nine hour days. Yeah. You know? <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. And now we're on Bourbon Community Roundtable number 77. It's always a fan favorite, so here's what we have going on for this episode. Like bad hair and skinny jeans, trends, they come and go. But the same thing happens in the bourbon world. So I pose a question to the group. If we see any trends fading, we start talking about stickers and barrel picks, but there are more that we see happening. In the next section of the show, I ask everyone if in-store buying experiences are changing. So there's been a lot of partnerships that have been happening, as well as acquisitions from Drizzly, GoPuff, Reserve Bar, and even Sealbox. Are online and on-demand outlets such as these making consumers less likely to try new things? And in the last part of the show, it's a question from Brian, and he wants to know, are there just too many bourbon festivals? With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Eric Rogue, who writes on fredminnick.com. Pairing cigars with bourbon can amplify both tasting experiences, but do you think long-term cigar smoking can have an adverse impact on your palate? Thanks. Uh, great question, Eric. And in fact, there's an entire blend category called um, the cigar blend. You know, that's been it's really it's been around for for a few years. It was Joseph A. Magnus, and you know they came out with these uh, cigar cigar blends, and it was really attracting to the, the cigar smokers because they'd be really big, bold, and you know they would live up to the cigar smoke. So I would say, if anything, the cigar trend has influences bourbon for the better because it brings out more flavor in the bourbon. Uh, but full transparency, I'm a cigar smoker. I don't smoke three or four a day like my friend Ollie, but I do smoke uh, at least once a week. And it's wonderful. I love pairing a, a good bourbon and a cigar. I especially love pairing rum and cigar. Now, in wine, I think it can influence your wine palate. And there was some speculation as to why Robert Parker would always pick um, higher uh, alcohol by volume wines in his list than the lower ones. And they thought because he was a cigar smoker. And I think you, when, you have a, when you have a product that's lower in proof, it can impact your ability to pick some of those things up. But for the most part, with the spirit, I don't think there's going to be a detrimental impact. And I'm speaking because some of the best palates I've ever known were cigarette smokers. So both uh, Larry Rice of Silver Dollar and uh, Jim Rutledge, both cigarette smokers. And they basically have some of the best palates I've ever tasted with. So there's no question in my mind that smoking has an adverse uh, impact on your health, but I do not think it will impact your bourbon palate. But then again, I'm not a doctor. 
But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like uh, Eric, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Hit the contact button. And if I like the question, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome, everybody. We are back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon, and it's Bourbon Community Roundtable number 77. And not only do we have me, but we also have our master distiller, Mr. Ryan Cecil, here with us, too. That's right. I'm just first master distiller on a roundtable. I'm, I'm honored and humbled you know, to be here. <laughs> so uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy to break down any uh, distilling questions you may have. As as Jason from the Mash and Drum is chiming in here, he goes, at least you turn the knobs for the title. That's all it takes. <laughs> That's right. It's a few uh, pressure relief valves, you know, make sure I get enough air, you know, flowing through those uh, plates in the column. This sounds like a, <laughs> the part of Tommy Boy when he's sitting there, like pointing to the ceiling is like, no, it's like the rotary girder thing, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm still on that level. I'm totally bullshitting. I just picked like a few buzzwords, you know, out of my four inch binder. I just roll with those. So people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. It makes you sound smart. That's right. Every time we talk to Master Distiller, that's what they do. They throw around the word congeners and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Condensers, vapors, and congeners. And I'm like, now I can be like, shake my head with 10% knowledge. (laughs) That's all it takes. Let's go ahead and let's bring the rest of the guys out here. So, Jordan, go ahead. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Jordan, one of the three guys from BreakingBourbon.com. Super excited to be here. Looking forward to a good show again. Yes. And we'll go with Brian. Brian, you're next. All right. Just in case the mic doesn't work, right? Pretty much. (laughs) Yep. So yeah, Brian with Sipping Corn, Bourbon Justice. Uh, Eric gave me the shout out for the new barrel head behind me. Um, Growing up a little bit from the old foam core of the Bourbon Justice book. So uh, 
happy to be here. Number 77. I think we do have some good topics. So getting ready for it, guys. Thanks. We sure do. And the guy who makes us tardy every single week, Blake Ryber. I mean, Ryber, Ron, episode 77, it's Reber. I can't even get it. Did <laughs> no, your microphone uh, right? I might say your last yeah, name Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Son of a gun, got me. Um, <laughs> thank you. Always fun being here and, uh, you know, just uh, making everybody uh, sip their drinks a little bit longer while we warm up backstage. So, Blake from Bourbon and Seal Box, and uh, look forward to a good show. For sure. So this was one of the things that I was thinking of as we were trying to think of topics. And this wasn't anything that was in the news or anything like that. I kind of look at it from a cultural standpoint. And we have seen a lot of things in bourbon kind of come and go, fads and trends. They change all the time. And I kind of want to put this out there because we, we see things that have and we usually look at it like an end of the year wrap up or we take predictions at the beginning of the year. But I feel like we have already started seeing some things start fading off. And and I kind of want to put it to you all is, is what are some bourbon trends that are we starting to see fading? And I'll kind of put the first one out there because I think this is something that maybe it became a staple of it became a staple of bourbon culture for a while. But at some point the distillery started cracking down. And I think that we're slowly going to see the removal of a lot of stickers on bottles and barrel picks. And I say this because we have seen a lot of distilleries, notably Four Roses. We've seen Knob Creek. Those ones that basically say you deface it. We're not going to do any more barrel picks with you. And that actually sprung up because I know Jordan, you all actually had a post that you polled your audience and saying, should we even do stickers anymore? Yep. And that made me kind of think about this. And that was probably a month or two ago when you when you did that. Yep. Yeah. So that was last month. And you know, really it was for selfish reasons, right? Because coming up with a sticker idea is is time intensive. The creativity behind it is anyone who's been involved in um, coming up with a sticker, just really liking a sticker. So coming up with a theme, coming up with a drawing, etc. So we were a little bit just wondering, you know, is, is our supporters are they getting burned out, right? In general, what do they think? But, you know, it turns out more than half the people still liked getting a sticker. Now, about 25% of the respondents said, I can go either way. But half the people still said, yeah, I really enjoy the sticker. It doesn't need to be super fancy, but I appreciate having something that helps me pull it off my shelf. And when we really started thinking about and dissecting those answers, it really came down to who's the core audience. If there's anyone getting a single barrel pick, whether it's through a club or a store or something like that, they're ready diehard whiskey drinkers for the most part. They probably have a large collection and they probably have multiple of the same bottle inside of their collection. So how do they distinguish between them? So when we started really dissecting and talking to folks individually and thinking about it, it made a lot more sense. Now, whether stickers remain as creative as they have in the past, and hopefully the fad of beyond stickers goes away. So when I'm talking like multicolored waxes, wax toppers, little army people on top of the wax, right? Hopefully those go away. But I think in terms of just being a whiskey enthusiast and needing something to distinguish your, I don't know, your fifth bullet bourbon pick or your fifth George Dickel pick sitting on your shelf, what club did you get it from? What store did you get it from, et cetera? You still need something to distinguish it. So I'm not sure if stickers are going to completely go away, but they, they probably will end up morphing a little bit. Um, so maybe they're just more informative, a little hang tag, a little just selected by type thing. You know, we might not see these full crazy back bottle 
comic book pages on the back of uh, bottles for stickers anymore. Um, but it is interesting when we really took ourselves out of just being the creative and started thinking about from a consumer standpoint, I guess it makes sense. Well, I'll jump in a little bit and I feel like as my, and I've been kind of a proponent of, I don't really like stickers, uh, but we, you know, we see people take them very serious and in our system with Sealbox, the sticker automatically apply or automatically goes in your cart when you buy a product. And then if, if it's left open, we'll see people just go buy one bottle and buy like 15 different stickers from it's like, well, you're not even getting the pick, but you're trying to get the stickers. So, and we have people request them all the time. So to me, it's kind of like, it is a fun and interesting thing. And to Jordan's point, like if you've got five barrel picks of the same brand or bottle, what's really your differentiator. And that's why I, I do kind of enjoy when people do a sticker that ties into that pick, you know, whether that's the taste profile, how they picked it, whatever it is, because it is, it's, it, it gets a little bit, you know, boring on the shelf. If you've got 12 bottles of the same looking bottle on the shelf, but really they're 12 different picks. That's where I feel like I don't want to see them go away completely because you can't have fun with it. But at the end of the day, then people just take it too far. And it's like, well, you know, how do you control it if you don't just cut it out all completely? It's hard to say, hey, just be adults by putting your stickers on our bottles. You know, distillers and brands can't really say that. So I get why they try to cut it out. But I do think you you lose something by doing that. I, I got a question for you, Blake, as just on the retailer side of things. Have you seen sales increase or decrease just because there's a sticker attached that you would have to put in the box? Yeah. I mean, I don't have like, I mean, I guess I could have hard evidence, but I, I need, I need it, data. It, I need data points. In general. Yes. The stickers do matter because I, I think it's just one more tie in for the person. So yeah, in general, it does sell better. Uh, we don't do stickers for our seal box picks. So maybe that just makes me dumb, but <laughs> it, uh, yeah. It, most of the time, if there's a cool sticker, a sticker can help push a pick. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hop in because we've done one with um, Sealbox before, actually twice that have that have sold out almost instantly. And this was our new riff picks. They are really good picks. Most of new riff picks are pretty good, no matter who's picking them from, because I think they have a lot of good single barrels. But we did Riffler's Mom, Riffler's Mom One, and Riffler's Mom Two, too hot to handle. And I'm pretty sure those sold out almost instantaneously, Blake. And that was we had people yep. write to us afterwards. Can we just get the sticker? We don't want the bottle. We just want the sticker. It's like. Okay. So are people putting these on their own bottles to make it look like the, your pick? We yeah, never get about the stickers, but you know, yeah. unless you get a bottle. I just sell them a the bottle for double on the Facebook marketplace. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Smart move. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said about sticker games and, and stuff like that. But I, I want to also post the question to you all. Are, do you see any other trends starting to fade away when it comes to bourbon? I, I have seen 70% fewer crotch shots in the last three months because <laughs> I keep a, I keep a tally. I think I, I don't obviously, but I've seen a lot less and that it warms my heart to, to see fewer of those. I hope that's a trend that continues. Who can we, uh, let's, let's go ahead and give a thankful to, to Blake here because I'm pretty sure that he's the one that put something in the bourboner form what five plus years ago that said you're not allowed to post crotch shots yeah that, that's or unopened you, you bottles know, when when, yeah. unopened bottles but that was the way to get rid of them um if you're gonna go sit in your car i i guess go ahead and do it but uh, no i mean it's like 
how did that become a thing? Like, what was that? <laughs> uh, but get tired of seeing it. I, I think on the trend side, I, I don't know. Is anybody camping out anymore? Uh, you don't see a ton of that. They are well. Jordan's nodding his head, so so maybe they are. But it, it just seems like a little bit of the the chasing of like Pappy and everything has died down a little bit. It seems like nobody's really selling. It's either a lottery or it's just going into special customers. So it seems like that has died down, but maybe it's just because I'm not running the Pappy map anymore and that type of thing. And then kind of barrel picks in general. I think a lot of groups are getting them. So it's flooding the market a little bit. So you got to really pick something good and unique and different and just grabbing a barrel from who knows where doesn't really cut it anymore. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Definitely single barrels seem to have lost their luster. You know, it's like uh, you used to to get a single barrel. It was like you had to be like a special store, or a special group that's been doing it forever. But now it's like anyone and everyone can have one. So it's like kind of like unless it's just somebody you like absolutely trust, like, you know, Mr. Seelbach over there and uh, Jordan and Kenny and I and Brian. But uh, it just seems like they, they, they're they just not as excited about it anymore. Um, well, do you think they, that's because of just single barrels or has it just been a, a prolific amount that are just outside of the, the top six? You think of the big six, those are the ones that still continually sell, but now you have smaller brands coming in and that is a... That is an easy sell for a lot of them because they can come into the market and they can go, hey, I'll sell you a single barrel. I mean, we know that's a that's an easy way to make twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars if you can. So is it just because there's just so many smaller and mid-tiers that it's diluted that allure? Yeah, I mean, obviously if it's a Russell's or a Four Roses or a Buffalo Trace or but I don't know. I've even seen like Maker's Mark picks and some like Knob Creek picks that are sitting around, hanging around some bullet picks that are now sitting around i've noticed at like you know party marts and liquor barns and i'm just like those users just fly you know off the shelf and it's it's either a you know maybe people are in a just in a holding or recessionary or just kind of don't know what with the economy coming off the holidays maybe dry january has something to do with it but it definitely seems like uh they're, they're not moving like they used to I think we're also hitting a little bit of bourbon saturation too, right? So it's the same people buying all the single well, barrels sure, yeah. from all the groups. Yeah. So it's like, all right, how, like, how again, many can you and, take? How many can you take, right? So for for those listening, and and clearly for the five of us, and especially probably for those listening, right when this drops, we probably have larger than normal collections than most of America. But for other folks who are you know part of one or two clubs, they can really only we talk about this all the time. How, how much is normal for most people? Maybe they can only have ten or fifteen bottles, and for most of us listening to that is like, oh, 10 or 15 bottles. That's nothing. For like most of Americans out there, you have 10 or 15 bottles of bourbon sitting in your house. That's that's crazy. So I think there is. There's just saturation. They can only drink it so quick. They don't drink it as much as others. And like you eventually have so many are like time out. I, I just need a time out. 10 or 15 from the same pick is what you mean, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You got to clear the shelves somehow. It's hard because you, you try to pick these and then like these single barrel things and I'm I, and then three weeks from now, like single barrels will be hot again. You know, it's like I'm totally wrong on this. <laughs> you know, I'm just swinging for the fences on something. It, it's like we're always trying to find like, is bourbon tapped out or is this, or is this, you know, is this the peak or is it? And it just, it just never seems to be the case, even though as much as we like to like try to instigate that conversation. 
Yeah, and the the thing that you mentioned earlier about Knob Creek and Maker's Mark, I think that's an anomaly because those ones have always been not the easiest to sell through. Maker's Mark is an easy one only because when you get a a, a pick, gosh, there's what two hundred and fifteen plus bottles in every single one because they, I mean, they fill that barrel up to the brim with what you have, and it sits there for a little bit. So there's no angel share loss you really have to worry about. So a higher yield at a at a high price tag, yeah, it's going to take a little while to sell that. The Knob Creek one, I don't know. That one actually baffles me a little bit because uh, not really because well, okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm well. All they ears. used to be they used to be you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year old, sixteen year old picks, and now they've dropped down to six, eight, nine year old picks. But hell, you can get nine year Knob Creek for thirty dollars, whereas the picks are fifty five, sixty. And I think the Knob Creek. I drank the Knob Creek nine year that they just, you know, put the age back on. I mean, that shit's good <laughs> for, you know, for the money. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's just my, my thought. I mean, to a degree, but it also just is, I think there's a, a facet of it when you look at just more people getting into it and they want to get single barrels, but those people that are getting into it didn't know what we knew a couple of years ago that there were 13, 14, 15 year old picks. All they know is what's on the shelf today. And so I, I think that's a little different only because they would come into it and they would see a pick and go and get it. Even if it was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever. So I, I don't know. I think that's a, it's a, it's a little bit different only because of just how, how unaware they might be from what used to be on the shelf. Fair enough. Yep. True. Pivoting away, because I just want to touch upon this. So pivoting away from picks really quick is just, you know, when you posed this question earlier, Kenny, I was really thinking about it. And so barrel, let me get this right out front. Barrel finishing, still super hot, not a trend going away whatsoever. But when I started really thinking about barrel finishing, one thing really stuck out to me was the fact that honey barrels and honey barrel finishing seemed to be like all the rage like two years ago, even a year. I mean, everyone wanted a honey barrel, right? They were super hard to come by. Everyone was paying top dollar for them. And now it seems like nobody's talking about them. Nobody care less about them. Like everyone's just like, oh, honey barrel. Okay, whatever. Like I, I've had it. Until like two weeks from now when... Uh... <laughs> Wait, did you say there's there's one more seal box release? That's a honey barrel? <laughs> no, we should... no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I feel like that always uh, somehow always happens, happens to Ryan. Ryan bashes some... Fin- I'm like, well, but there may be one more. They continue to sell out, you know. We've seen just finishes come, you know, come in vogue and then they, they roll right back out and cigar ombrana, which you want to call it is, is definitely one of the most exciting, but honey for us at least definitely still does pretty well. But then there are some others where people are like, you know, port, I've added a, a thousand different port finishes or whatever it may be. So that, that's kind of the hard part because some of those I think are better than you know, you could get a poor quality honey barrel and it's not that great, but it's a honey barrel. So people buy it. And then you have like this white port finish. That's fantastic. And people are like, nah, call me when you get the honey in. But, but that's, you know, kind of the nature of, of the beast these days. Thank God. The Tabasco finish never made a, a trend oh. list after that. Hot <laughs> I don't know. Dickel was on to something. Which really, you, you, I mean, we probably had the same conversation two years ago, but, what do you do next? And that was before, you know, the cigar and the honey. And, but really, what do you 
do next. Although, so Virgil Kane did a cool one. They took a toasted barrel and smoked it with vanilla beans or something. And it was really dang good. But it's like, well, how how many ways can we do something to a barrel that... <laughs> You know what you do, Blake? You send it up into space. That's what you do. That's what you do. Put a webcam in it. Space girl. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I kind of see just just good quality standard bro- bourbon profiles coming back. <laughs> like, that sounds just, boring. That's... I, know, I know, but I just think, I don't know. Uh, I think it's going to come full circle. It's like we started here and we were like, oh, we got to go. And they're like, yeah, we just like our, our good solid bourbons. I, I can't remember if I talked about it with you, Ryan, or somebody, but somebody was like, people are dying to drink flavored whiskey without saying that's it's flavored me. whiskey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, I shouldn't have given you the quote because it's a good quote, but I know. Uh, I well, it's like a honey barrel. It's like for years, wild turkey honey has been out there and Evan Williams honey, you can buy it for like 20 bucks. Instead, you're paying a hundred dollars for this stupid finish shit. It's like, it has the same flavor profile. <laughs> it maybe just have a little bit more proof to it. Maybe. But, yeah. <laughs> slightly. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said. I, I don't know. I might have a hot take about the cigar blend thing because I think it is a very it, it's it's up to the creator of what you want to call it as a cigar blend. Joseph Magnus, I I believe, is the one that pioneered this and, and really went through that it was Nancy Fraley. And it was, I don't know, three different cask finishes that went into it. I mean, hell, we're doing this now. Ryan and I, we could come up with something. It could be completely different. It could be port, cherry, amberana. Uh, no amberana. Name, okay, no amberana. I know Ryan's on a, he, he will he will put, put, draw the line in the sand with no amberana. But we could put 10 different barrels and put it together and just call it a cigar finish and say, it's good with a cigar. So a cigar finish, I felt like is, it's so vague. Yeah, and it, it it's, I, I just don't like it because anybody can call a cigar finish whatever they want. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it. Yeah. Well, you don't smoke cigars, Kenny, to be fair. Tell, tell us how you really feel, Kenny. But just not, tell us how you really feel. Okay. Sorry. It's not that. It's just that anybody. He said it was going to be a hot take. Okay. I he understand did. that. Like I said, I gave, I, I thought Joseph Magnus was there. The first one, Nancy Fraley, that she kind of pioneered that you've seen. And everybody in the comments, they're talking about Starlight and their cigar finish. I have not had the Starlight cigar finish, so I can't comment about it, but mm-hmm. What's it to say that anybody just can't make up whatever they're going to call a cigar finish? And all of a sudden, people are going to gravitate towards it. I think that's a dangerous game to play. It's the new small batch. But then small do you, batch. I mean, but then do you want them to define legal in legal terms the word cigar batch? Like, No, I, I don't know, think so either. It's up to the consumer to trust the brand. And like Starlight did a fantastic one and they did really cool pairings with cigars, but that's not to say that, um, y- you know, some other, we won't throw anybody under the bus, but it's like, yeah, let's just toss a bunch of barrels together. But that's kind of what the, the world of bourbon is. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> jumps on the bandwagon when something gets hot. And that's why we have so many toasted variations of bourbon. And, you know, I think that's just, it's going to keep going. So are we going to see the Pursuit United morning coffee batch? Are you going to start the trend there? Just like, you know, just pick a pick a whatever you want. And just there you go. This is the. That could be the know. next trend. Your there breakfast you bourbon. Your like breakfast here bourbon. Is, yep. I already trademarked it. So thanks, Brian, for filing <laughs> that this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's well, in. It's in right now. It's in. It's in. Well, we're going to call it the brunch bourbon and just get around you. That's all it's going to yeah. be. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I mean, let's let's take this other way. Like Blake, you did the French toast release. Remember when you did that? So who's who's coming to say that like, oh, I'm going to add caramel to it. I'm going to add some other stuff. And I'm just going to call it the French toast finish. Like, would that not piss you off a little bit when you came off with something like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, all right, I'm getting that's that why I'm naming my, my next blend, uh, the poor man's pappy. And uh, nobody has said, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it it is kind of funny because I think somebody has done that. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I think the, the real concern there is if somebody's flavoring, like if somebody said, all right, this is the, the French toast, maple syrup, whatever. If they did just the same blends it's it's or finishes it's fine but then if they're adding like caramel and all this other stuff and they can get away with it because technically it falls under distilled spirit specialty then that's but that's where i think ttp needs to tighten up on the definitions of barrel finishing but that's a whole other topic that is beyond this question (laughs) yeah that's what i worry about because there it is so vague under that distilled spirit specialty like you can add a you could add a ton of shit, nobody would know. And you can just sneak it in under there. So I'm not saying that anybody of these are doing it, but who knows if they are or not. But I taste some and I'm like they, they are. That uh <laughs> that tastes artificially uh too much like a French toast. Uh it tastes like a uh, ego what my Lego, my ego <laughs> on there. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like a legitimate <laughs> waffle uh yeah. smothered in maple syrup. Not and it wasn't the seal box one. It was I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, I know it wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. but I don't. I think the finishing stuff's still fun. I, I, I do. I think I'm gravitating more towards like traditional bourbons these days. But it is fun to like. I really like when you have like a base product and then you taste it finished in something. You know, it's like that. that that's always fun. I like that. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Jeremy because this was hilarious. And they said, if anybody comes out with the vape blend, then I'm just going to leave bourbon. <laughs> Ooh, I might be in it. Yeah. It's no longer a smoked. It's no no longer a smoked finish. That would be funny, actually, if you'd said, "Well, um, a lot of people they like to smoke their grains and have that." And we just vape ours. <laughs> Ryan sits in the back and just ripping vapes. I got a hookah. Oh, back it's it's not malted. It's vape. It's not, it's vape. <laughs> that would sell. That, that would, would sell. be my first project as master distiller. <laughs> I love that though. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, any other hot takes of, of where we see things fading out before we move to the next subject? I don't that know. That got some traction. No. That was yeah, good. That was good. That, that, was that, good that had some that had some legs. That's a whole didn't show, it? practically. Yeah, that is a whole show. Almost did. Almost did. Well, let's let's keep going here. So last week, Reserve Bar, which is mostly comprised of premium products, they introduced an RTD specific companion platform called the Get Stocked. And that is going to provide on-demand, direct-to-consumer shipping for most consumers tapping into the canned beverage market. Similarly, Drizzly, they announced a partnership with Boyson, which is a non-alcoholic online retailer, to start selling its products. Plus, they also partnered with GoPuff to provide an immediate on-demand delivery of drinks. So I started thinking to myself, I said, now that this has become more prolific, I believe we talked about it in a past roundtable talking about drizzly and everything like that but now with drizzly go puff reserve bar and even seal box do we think that this is going to and i didn't want to the only reason was kind of like a tagline it's like is it going to kill the brick and mortar but it's not going to kill the brick and mortar i don't think that however i want to understand do you think it's going to kill the in-store experience 
about how it takes about people when they find new brands. And I think that's the hardest thing to be able to come by. And, and that's just because people are always drawn to what's comfortable. So I kind of want to put it to you all. I know that the brick and mortar is not going to die, but is it going to ruin people from sitting there going, you know what? I don't need to go to the store. I'll just go ahead and just order what I know online. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. I know that the brick and mortar is not going to die, but... Is it going to ruin people from sitting there going, you know what? I don't need to go to the store. I'll just go ahead and just order what I know online. Here's my take on that, right? I think that's a very fair point, Kenny. So all of us super comfortable just doing online shopping, looking at different things. I think when it comes to, and I do, let me put this out there, 99% of my shopping is done online. If I can avoid a store for any reason whatsoever, I'd like doing that. However, when it comes to alcohol, there's something that I still enjoy about going to a liquor store, especially when I'm traveling, but going to a liquor store, seeing what's new, maybe venturing into a spear category that I'm not too familiar with, picking up the bottle, looking at it, looking at the label and going, oh, I'll give something new a shot. I'm going to spend 50 bucks today. Let me see what I can walk out with. And there's something really tactile about me picking up that bottle out of all the other products out there for some reason that I really like. And I think as a bourbon enthusiast, as a spirits review writer, you know, that's built into my DNA a little bit. I really enjoy doing that. But I think a lot of that probably resonates with a lot of folks listening to this too. Um, they probably enjoy doing that. Now, for the average consumer out there who probably sticks to the same big brands, right? They like drinking Buffalo Trace, Maker's Mark, Knob Creek, et cetera. They only know a few different bourbon brands. They only know a few different vodka brands, a few different rum brands. And if they can now just get their alcohol online too, along with any canned beverages without having to leave their couch, yeah, that's probably a really great combination. They're probably going to gravitate towards that a little bit more. I still think alcohol is more of an impulse purchase for some folks when they're walking through the store and you know they're not in a strict control state and be like, oh, all right, I'll throw some beer in the cart, throw a bottle of alcohol in the cart. That's fine. But 
yeah, it's probably going to put a dent in consumers' ability to go to the store and, and pick out that staple brand that they would normally buy in person. So there's another comment here by, by Christina that says, I like the hunt. And so I think this is counterintuitive to what I think that is not really the hunt per se, because smaller brands, they still want to be online. They want to be on reserve bar. They want to be on seal box. But how do you get those, those people that are out there to find different brands? Only because, as we've mentioned before, if you are just accustomed to the, the regular, how are you able to convince them to sit there and uh, try our stuff or try Buzzard's Roost or try whomever that's out there, Forgate? There's, there's plenty of uh, smaller players out there that are trying to make a name for themselves, but people aren't just going to go and whimsically just buy it online and have it delivered because that's not what they're comfortable with. That's yeah. kind of the point I was thinking of, Kenny. You know, if I'm if I'm at the store um, and I'm going to look up Breaking Bourbon for a review of all of these new bourbons on the shelf, I mean, I'd, I want to try something new. And and I didn't go to freaking stores before before COVID, and I sure as hell don't go to regular stores now. But that's for you know razor blades or shoes or something. When it's when it's bourbon, I'm I'm going to go there. And when as these stores, at least here, start opening tasting bars, I think that's going to help keep people in. I think there's that there's that connection to the drink and to the community that people are going to want. And with with those tasting bars and a lot of these stores in particular, and being able to try something and so many damn options out there, there's still a place for brick and mortar. But I, I have to agree with Jordan that if if you're just looking for your next handle of makers, because that's what you have always liked, that's what you're going to do. But you weren't the one going to the store to kind of look around and feel things out and look at reviews and try to find something else new to try. Yeah, there's a stat when I was at Moonshine University. So they had someone uh, <laughs> talking about 60% of uh, consumers go to a liquor store already knowing what they're going to buy. And that's all they walk out with. I think it was like 10 or 15% only will impulse buy, you know, and then like 20 to 25 will get what they buy and maybe something else. And so it's like, and I think of like some of my favorite things to do is like, I love going to evergreen or liquor barn or, and they have, you know, they're on the bar where I can ask the bartender and say, Hey, what do you think's new and exciting? So I think as a brand or so you got to like, you know, get with those people, get the education piece and i don't know how the hell you do that online one thing i did notice like with total wine that was kind of cool when i was um building like a a wine tasting for my wife for her birthday i was doing like a spanish wine tasting and i was just kind of researching different wines because I, I don't like going in there because sometimes you know they they steer you one way and this uh, so i was like i'm gonna go have my research before i go in but I, I did like the total wine site because you like I like this Garnacha or I like this, and then they would like show you the the wine, and then they have like a little small video or something explaining about it. You know the story, the where the grapes came from, the winemakers, this and that. So there, I think there are ways you can kind of integrate it into the you know the experience online to where it's not just like oh I'm gonna get my handle of Tito's or Makers and whatnot. Um, Cause I, I buy online too. Cause I'll hear, you know, mash and drum or chat, Chad and Sarah, or, you know, bringing bourbon review something. It's not something that we can find, you know, here locally, but only online. And so th that's always fun too. So I don't know that I feel like you got to integrate something into your site. Like, and I don't know if they even 
a lot of sites probably don't even do that. So, well, when you just said that about the the total wine thing, is it the reviews that influence you, or is there something else? No, I think it was a story about the winery, or like you know, it was like, oh, this one's from a small family farm, you know, and in, in the hills of the Rioja or something, you know. So it, the, it, just the description, just like the whatever. description. It was like if you like this type of wine. And it would list like five or six and then you click on it. Then it gives you a story about each one of them. And that, that kind of like, it helped me romanticize my purchases, I guess. That's, that's kind of where I was going with it. Where uh, in my opinion, obviously it's, it's jaded, but I, I think online and, and those types of things we're talking about are better for smaller brands because it's a much easier medium to explain your story. You know, you think about in the shelf or on the shelf, when you walk in, you've got, the bottle space and that's it to tell the story you, you know maybe you get a hanger tag and so so you're hoping that somebody's either in there googling it finds a breaking article or they've like just seen it other places and it just happens to catch their eye but at least from what i've seen online is much easier to to do that to get somebody interested in something new and exciting kind of exactly what ryan was describing where it's like oh they start describing the the vineyards and the family that makes it. And that's, that's really tough to do in a store setting. And, you know, it makes sense that the majority of people that go in there, go in there for one thing, maybe they grab something else, but in general, they buy that bottle they're looking for and they walk out. Yeah. That's where I think it's much easier to, to spread as a brand and new and interesting products because just the online's a much easier medium to do it. You can show videos, you can show reviews, you can show, you know, stories, you, whatever it is. So that's where I think it's truly an advantage. Now, sure. Some will be left behind because they'll choose not to embrace where things are going and they'll just try to do it the old ways. But, you know, for smaller brands, I think it's something that they could really, you know, get ahead of bigger brands because, People always want something new and interesting. And I forget who put it in the chat, but they said, you know, who wants to drink the same thing every time? And it, it's true. Like the, the days are over of the guy who just goes and buys his one bottle of Jack Daniels every week. And that's what he drinks. Like, no, like it not in more probably extreme cases of this, but the majority of whiskey drinkers today, I'm guessing have a much more eclectic collection than the whiskey drinkers even 10, 15, 20 years ago did. So um, I think everybody's wanting something new and different. I think, yeah, and that that's those are really good points, Blake. I think one thing to add too, right, especially from just an online and in-store perspective too, is when do you plan on drinking it? Online's awesome, and I buy a ton of stuff online too, um, even if I'm not going to the store for stuff I can't find where I'm locally living. But I don't plan on drinking it that night. But if it's like Friday after work and you want a bottle for the weekend or something like that, unless you live in a major city that has like same day delivery, you're probably going to go to a store. So it also plays into like, when do you plan on drinking this bottle? Is it like, I need it for this weekend because I want to drink something or I can wait a few days for it shows up for shipping and then I'll enjoy it when it comes in. No, and that's a great point, Jordan. It's when are you going to drink it? Because uh, yeah, that's a fantastic point. But I think too, one advantage online has, you know, versus you know, say you have a brand rep or brand ambassador in store. We've done it, Kenny. I mean, maybe 15 to 20% of the people are actually care about bourbon, you know, whereas with online, you can really like, you know, use cookies and all this stuff to like really pinpoint your customer and consumer to, you know, you know, they're into bourbon. That That's where the, the online is nice. It's me as a consumer. I don't care about people having 
my data and like, I want to know, I want to be exposed to the things I'm interested in. And so with that total wine experience, I remember just typing in a, a popular Spanish wine, but then they're like, if you like this, then you might like these also, you know? And that's like, I like that kind of, you know, to it too. And, and I also want to compliment Blake because he also does a very good job of this every single time he either brings on a, a new brand or something like that. You always give a, a welcome email that says, this is the story behind it. And this is why you should like it and everything like that too. And so you kind of give the, the rubber stamp of approval for Blake that says, this is, this is why we brought them on. They're just not, they're not another craft distiller. I'm just not trying to sell something else off the shelf, but instead I brought them on for some particular kind of reason. Well, yeah. thank you to Sealbox for sponsoring this portion of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Just waiting for that check to clear. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, just waiting a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Just kidding. No, but I mean, the, all of this really makes a lot of sense only because for a lot of us, what we want to do is we just want to try to figure out, are we losing focus of, of what we're trying to find? Because a lot of people are out there trying to find new things, but it's really hard to find new things, especially when you're just comfortable knowing that, oh, well, you know. I know they they source from MGP. Well, I know like MGP, so I'm just going to go buy MGP. So how do you find something new and something that's different? And so you have to make that story resonate. And how do you make those people really start gravitating towards your brand? But there's a there's a lot of ways to be able to do that. But again, I think that that kind of goes outside of the the realm of what we said is that, you know, will Drizzly, GoPuff, and Sealbox and Reserve Bar kill the in-store experience? I still think that there is going to be opportunity always for retail to still exist. Brick and mortar will always still exist. That's why Drizzly and GoPuff are there. But I just want to make sure that people are not just always being comfortable and, and they have to be able to either rely on reviews, rely on something else to make them want to you know, you know, push that purchase button or if it is, or if not, then shit, then go inside and hopefully there's somebody at the store that can recommend a good bourbon for you. Well said. Yep. All right. Last one that we're going to do, and this is coming from our friend Brian down here. And I, and this is because I, I kind of saw what he said, but I'll, I'll let him kind of take the reins with it after this, is that there has been a, an influx of, there's there's always been festivals for everything. There's food and wine festivals. There's barbecue festivals. There's just been bourbon festivals. But now we're starting to see bourbon being inserted to every festival. And so I kind of pointed in the, and painted the picture that said, are there too many bourbon festivals? Because it doesn't seem like there's enough out there. And I know we get a little bit bombarded here in Kentucky only because you can find one every single weekend if you wanted to. But now that Ryan and I have been doing the Pursuit Spirits thing for a while, we're starting to figure out how can we get staffing people at whiskey festivals in all the different states that we're distributed in. I started doing the list. It's like there's 30 different whiskey festivals we have to staff across nine different states. So Brian, I'll kind of want to take it and turn it over to you to kind of ask the the true question here. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought of this when I saw that the Owensboro Barbecue Festival, which anyone who's not been to Owensboro, uh, go to Owensboro. They have some of the best barbecue out there. But they've just added bourbon to their annual barbecue festival. And I remember the one in November in Louisville, it ended up failing and they didn't do it. I don't know if they've really rescheduled it. That's what they said they do. But that was another bourbon festival. And everywhere you turn around, there's this other bourbon festival. So it's, I guess it's opposite of our first topic of, you know, trends that are fading. This is a trend that is 
is picking up, but you lose exclusivity for anything, whether it's exclusive bottles or it's access to master distillers, because they can't be like Kenny's saying, they can't be at all of these events all over the country. Used to be when you would go to some sort of bourbon festival, it was because you had that special access to special bourbons and the people in the industry. So I'm just seeing too many for the industry to keep up. And, uh, and I think it's, it's something that's going to suffocate itself. Um, and maybe that's what happened to this one in Louisville in November. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. Cause I mean, we're even dealing with that, you know, with the bourbon festival and burn beyond, which are the two like super bowl uh, festivals and all the distillers have a really hard time staffing both. Cause they're on the same weekend and you know, it's, they've done a good job to balance it out, but it, but yeah, all these other festivals have kind of been dumbed down, I guess, you know, where it's, and, and it's not bad, but there's somebody there that's maybe not affiliated with a brand. They're just hired help for that weekend. And they just kind of are there to just, you know, fog a mirror and pour some whiskey out. And, uh, that kind of loses its luster. And, you know, that, that that's not what you want represent burn, but at the same time, too, I kind of like it because these festivals used to not have any good bourbon. So it's it's nice that there's at least that offering there. And it's not just like craft beer, or crappy beer and, and wine or something, you know. So I, I don't know. I'm torn. I like it, too, that there's more bourbon and there's more exposure, but I don't get anything special out of it. And that's with so many yeah. in between that point. That's where I think it suffocates. So I'll give you the non-native Kentucky viewpoint too, right? Which I'm sure that applies to a lot of listeners out there. So I think bourbon festivals, any, any festival that had bourbon onto it, right? Bourbon and bacon, bourbon and barbecue, you name it, they're going to tack on bourbon. If you're in Kentucky, the bourbon that's probably being represented a little bit, little bit higher quality. If you're outside of the state, a lot of those festivals are, it usually means local craft distilleries. Maybe if it's a bigger festival, you'll see like a national brand or two. So from a consumer standpoint, eventually you're like, all right, it's bourbon and oh you mean local whiskey which i'm either gonna really like or really dislike so you have to do enough of those and you're like all right there's really no bourbon component there's like three little tents like the local distillery over there that you see all the time anyways so i think it's a little bit overplayed um in some aspects especially when you start getting into the states away from kentucky you know i think i think in my personal opinion yeah it's overused all the time every single festival wants to tack on a bourbon component just like every single festival wanted to tack on a craft beer component like five six years ago it's just like overplayed yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree to an extent, but think about all these barbecue festivals and, you know, how that just kind of ties into everything. Like they're still ongoing. So, yes, it's it's kind of everywhere. It's getting maybe a little bit saturated, but I, I still think there's a very big market that's still interested in them. I mean, I, don't, I haven't been to a ton recently, but I'm going to say they're not going to keep doing them if, if, nobody's showing up. So I think people are still showing up, you know, how long that lasts. I don't know, but some of these barbecue competitions and everything that were extremely niched, you know, 20, 30 years ago have TV shows and major sponsorships. And, and it's kind of like the, uh, that's where I feel like bourbon fits in even more because of, you know, just the history and culture it fits into. And everybody's always going to drink where I think bourbon has the advantage is, you know, most people, can find something within the whiskey spectrum that they like. Whereas craft beer, a lot of times it's like, do I need a triple sour, what, whatever? And and that was kind of the stuff that was focused on. Whereas bourbon, it's like, oh, I'll get an old fashioned. It seems like everybody drinks an old fashioned these days. So 
it, it's definitely exploding, but I still wouldn't put it in like our first category of things that even would will start dwindling down in the next three to five years. I, I still think there's some time. Americans like to be entertained, you know. Mm-hmm. That's uh, true. They, it's, we're all fighting for. We're all just you know? looking at, for experiences, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, and uh, bourbon fits right in there, you know. It's it it makes an experience out of everything because you have that like a cool cocktail or a cool story, brand story, this or that that just just kind of. It's not just drinking Tito's and soda or Miller Lite. It kind of helps elevate the experience for everyone. And so the other thing that I, I thought about when you were thinking about this is, you know, Brian, we mentioned that you come from an angle of the consumer, which is probably most people on here. And I remember hearing a lot of complaints from the Kentucky Bourbon Festival this past year because a lot of the big producers, you know, your, you know, your, your big six, well, they weren't serving any LTOs or any kind of, you know, they weren't, they, there wasn't Parker's, there wasn't Michter's 10, there wasn't whatever that they were serving at the festival. So people felt cheated. And I thought that was, well, I mean, actually it worked pretty well for us because we were like, oh, we'll, we'll take you over here. But <laughs> it did work for us. So. But, but people said they felt cheated. And I, I was just thinking, wow, is this where we're at now that anytime you have a bourbon festival that you would expect that there's going to be this very high end, very limited edition, all the master distillers are going to be there whatever. I, I think that's a very hard to sit there and say, oh, we can dedicate all that to all these whiskey festivals we're going to go to. I don't know. I think you get to start trying to figure out how do we pick and choose exactly what we're going to do. So that's the that's the hard thing from a, a producer standpoint of, of like, how do you appease all these people from around the country? Because you don't have those types of bottles that you can just willy nilly just go, hey, let, let's go send this to the other 20 festivals that are happening in Texas this year, too. Yeah, but that used to be the big selling point for us in the Bourbon Festival was like, you knew you could go to Heaven Hill. You knew you could go to Willet. You knew you could go to Four Roses and get those limited editions, at least to even have a chance. And now it's not even like a possibility, really. And that was my point on the lack of exclusivity. I mean, you're not getting you're not getting those people. You're not getting those pourers. And that's to me kind of maybe just because I remember you know, just like a Louisville Bourbon Society meeting in 2013, Jim Rutledge comes and he brings the 2013 limited edition and is pouring it. I mean, whenever there was anything like that, you got something special. And you, I mean, you can't get that. As a consumer, I recognize you can't get that. And you're not going to be able to send the people or the limited editions to all these places. But that's kind of what made it special. I like I like barbecue well enough. I'll go to Owensboro just for barbecue. I don't know that I need it tied in with bourbon. Yeah, that's true. It, it is. It does seem like you notice this across not just bourbon, but any anything really. That the more mass popularity it begins, the more dumbed down it gets. <laughs> and uh, and so that's I think it's just a unfortunately a natural progression of like things becoming popular. <laughs> It's funny. I remember a couple of years ago, I, th- I think it was Denny, the old Heaven Hill master distiller. Um, what's his name? Why am I blanking on that? Denny Potter. Uh, Denny Potter. Potter. Denny Potter w- was like, you know, you used to go to these tastings and you'd start talking and you're like, well, you know, bourbon has to be 51% corn. And he's like, and now people are asking me like, what type of oak? How old is the oak? How long is it air dried? You know, all these very nuanced and particular questions and it almost seems like we'll probably get back to that point 
within the next five to seven years of it's back to the, well, here's what bourbon is. Bourbon is in, in that's where I think a lot of enthusiasts will stop going, but it's, it's got the mass appeal at that point. So could be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, all these are really good takes on, on the entire ecosystem of what we see and be interesting to see. I mean, for us personally on the pursuit spirit side, whiskey festivals are amazing. They're great because it is an opportunity for us to get our core products in front of new people who have never seen us before, never heard us before. And I, and actually that's what I hope for. There has been a, and don't be wrong, the, the big six and the, the major distilleries out there, they have owned the market share. They have owned the mind share for, for all the time. And whenever there's a new release or there's a press release of like, oh my God, we're taking this new product and now it's barrel proof. Boom, headlines, New York Times, it, whatever it is. They own everything and people get so just enamored with it and they get, get so sucked up by it that they forget that there's, oh my gosh, there's 40,000 other whiskey brands that are out there on the market that are spread across the entire United States. And I, I really hope that the whiskey festivals allow people to come and just try things that just aren't from the big six, because yeah, I understand it's cool to get some barrel proof expression of some one off that you might've not had from one of them because it was hidden in a back part of the warehouse. And now you get something cool, but hopefully you find something that is brand new and interesting that you can latch onto and find a new brand that you can go and support as well. I mean, that's me being selfish and thinking about it, but hopefully that's one thing that we can kind of see as a, a silver lining into this as well. Well, that just, it made me think as, as soon as I get the uh, Bernheim uh, barrel proof, I'm going to put that up to the uh, bourbon community round table, old elk barrel strength, weeded whiskey. Ooh, and uh, I like it. It's, it's going to be tough for Bernheim to beat that. So yeah, that's that a good one. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for that. Just make sure it's blind, okay? We've we've already learned this week that yeah. Pursuit United beats Waller Fulpoof blind. So if you can do that, then we're okay. I'll do it blind. Yeah. Yes. One final thought on that, Kenny, is that I think you know this is just shows there's an opportunity, and you see it with wine is like the common. Gosh, here I go again with this damn common drinker <laughs> phrase, but uh, it's okay. They, you know, it's like wine that people just, you know, they'll go to Napa and go to like Robert Mondavi or Louis Martini or, you know, the, the big famous wineries, but the true, like people that are looking for something. And I think that's happening in bourbon. They're looking for something interesting, unique from a smaller producer that they can connect with and, you know, be like, Oh, I met with the owner. And this is that the same thing that happened with Brian and Jim Rutledge. Well, now I can, I can meet with you, Brian, and I'll bring you some barrel samples of what we got and it'll be special. And you'll remember that. And uh, anyways, uh, I think that there's an opportunity that that the the big six have become so mainstream and so popular that I think that it's a good opportunity for mid to small size brands that are putting out quality stuff to make a name for themselves. Because I think people will look, you know, the big six will get them there. But, you know, to hang around, I think they'll have to look at the smaller producers to keep them interested. Fellas, I think that was that's going to wrap everything up for tonight. unless there's anything else you want to chime in about. It was good. I liked it, guys. All right. Well, fellas, this is an amazing show. I think we we took some good topics and went in a bunch of different directions. We we touched on a lot of good things, not only just from producers to retailers to consumers. I think we hit on a lot of great aspects that people can really relate with as well. But let's go ahead and let's close it out. We'll go backwards from the way we were. So, so Blake, you go first. 
Yeah, so I'm Blake from uh, Sealbox and Bourboner. Always fun, always exciting, and I uh, felt like these were great questions. So it's, it's great to always hear everybody's opinion. And so thank you for everyone who listened. And um, yeah, you can find me at Blake at Sealbox.com or just Sealbox.com. Oh, and he answers every single email timely. So yeah. just go ahead, just let him know. I hit like a solid ninety-five percent. If uh, if it's uh, other than that, I. Uh, do apologize at all hours of the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you say something so off the wall, he's going to screenshot it and send it to us. So just be, be aware of that as well. <laughs> Mainly if you send me something extremely angry and derogatory, that's the only ones that get screenshot. You just say something off the wall. It's fine. But if you say like, you hope I die and I like m- my pet dog dies, that's getting screenshot. 100%. Yeah. And, <laughs> As bad as it sounds, we've seen those before. So just make sure you be nice to Blake. He, he does a good job. He does good things. All right, Sponsored Brian. Sponsored box. <laughs> there you go. Dot com. <laughs> All, yeah, we need, we need a little logo. Not a logo. A little uh, link, jingle. Uh, jingle. Little jingle. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> Seal box. All right, Brian. Brian with Sipping Corn, Bourbon Justice. Find me to the socials at uh, Sipping Corn. This is a fun one, guys. Um and I'm really looking forward to that weeded whiskey. Maybe that's, everyone says rye. Maybe it's going to be weeded whiskey is the next big thing. So see everybody next time. Jordan. Yeah, this is Jordan from BreakingBourbon.com. Always happy to deliver all your bourbon review needs. But more importantly, always happy to be part of the show. So thanks for having us once again, fellas. It's a good good time. Oh, for sure. And, and Ryan, before we leave, we have to give Jeremy another kind of round of applause here because he said that we should come out with the jewel pod blend right I, you know yeah, the the winter mint <laughs> i mean cigar batch isn't enough we got to take it up a take it up one level yeah they they got some kind of flavor we can roll with somebody will buy it methanol bourbon mm-hmm. i'd say so i'd say so but that is gonna do it for this week guys this was a amazing show i hope you all enjoyed it We'll be back with another, well, what, in three to four weeks with another Bourbon Community Roundtable. And guess what? You know what the next time we're going to be on here for? Blake's microphone reveal. If my calendar is correct, hold on. I'm going to sit before, Valentine's before Day. I screw up. I don't think it's Valentine's Is it Valentine's Day when we actually record? Well, no, that's on a Tuesday, no, that's, like that's next week. week. Yeah. I don't know if oh, I get called for that week. one. <laughs> well, wait, you all celebrate Valentine's Day? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but the next one, Burby Community Roundtable number 78, will be episode number 400 of Bourbon Pursuit. Really looking forward to having you all here. We need wow. to celebrate. Congrats. Can't yeah. wait. But don't say it's congrats yet. We, we, haven't, we haven't got there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Working on it. Four more weeks. A lot could happen between <laughs> yeah, now there, There's a lot of shit that could go wrong. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Toodles. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.